what I loved about interviews um, was just the depth of connection you could have with people and meeting just fascinating people and learning from them and engaging with them that you would never just meet happenstance along the road. So I really, really love that. I love connecting and I love creating value for others. And so then also getting feedback from my audience at both the summit and then later on in the podcast was just fuel for the fire. Podcast Junkies episode 223. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. And hope you all are doing well in this wonderfully mad world of COVID that we find ourselves in. We are now towards the end of May. Things are starting to ease up a little bit. And I don't know if that necessarily means that things are ever going to be getting back to normal. But I hope you and your loved ones are safe and making the right choices based on the information you have at hand and uh, doing what it takes to stay safe and keep others safe around you, which I think is important. If you missed last week's episode, make sure you check it out. It's with Noah Labhart, founder of Variable and host of Code Story. We had a nice geek out section on all things podcasting and also the ups and downs of starting a company. And recently, Noah was nice enough to share the episode with his audience as well, which is always fun to see when the episode gets extra legs by guests repurposing it to their audience, which I love to see. Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Focusrite, and the wonderful line of Scarlet 2i2 sound cards. I was just coaching a new client on a show we're launching in the next couple of weeks and guiding them on the setup of their sound card. And they were really impressed at the control they had over the microphone and the headphones and the quality that having the Focusrite as their sound card provided. They specifically mentioned the warmth of the sound that was added by connecting their Samson Q2U mic to the Focusrite, which is a common setup recommendation for clients. Make sure you head on over to podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite to see the full line of products. This week, I welcome to the podcast Nicole Holland, who shares how she's handling her personal and business life during the throes of this global pandemic. Nicole and I met uh, several years ago, I believe it was the first time, got connected again at Podcast Movement or PodFest. It's starting to be a blur now, I think, but uh, most recently at PodFest. And it's memorable because it was the last conference that I've been at since uh, everything hit. So my partner Natalie and I were actually on a plane from Florida on March 12th where we had actually spent some time with Nicole at her house in Florida. And little did we know what was in store for us for the next few months. I'm glad to finally get her on the show. She shares her podcast Genesis story and what she learned from her experience working as a corrections officer, which is really fascinating. She speaks to many influential mentors she's had throughout her life and talks about the ongoing projects she's got in the works with her clients as well. A couple of the topics that we cover are why mindset is more important right now than tactics or strategy, and why Nicole sees herself as a problem solver. She sees gaps. She's really a strategist by nature. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 about your existing or new show. 
So let's jump into this conversation with Nicole. So Nicole Holland, host of Fascinating Founders, thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. It is my pleasure, Harry. Thanks for having me. We are in a post-COVID world right now, and I think we have to separate interviews or conversations or ways of life that we had prior to everything happening, and now this new world that we find ourselves in, which I, I think is interesting, fascinating, scary, hopeful, you know, <laughs> wide range of things happening. So probably best to just start off by asking you how, how you're doing and what, what the last couple of weeks have, have looked like for you. Yeah, thanks. I'm kind of feeling this very similar, you know, all the feels. So I think at this point, and we're recording on the 2nd of April, I'm tapped out on social media. Like I just can't see anymore. So I'm I'm in marketing and I'm used to the atmosphere of marketing and there's some things that I love about marketing and there's some things that about the industry that really bother me and it feels like right now everybody is like in some kind of fear factor not everybody but it seems like there's a lot of people sort of trying to capitalize on the fear. And I think when people create, when people offer, when people do their thing in service to others to solve the problems, to solve for the fear, to create peace or alignment, that's good. And when people go into solving problems from fear, I think that's bad. And that's what I'm just energetically feeling and seeing a lot is that people who've been around for a while are just like, rah, it's like they're just kind of throwing up all over the internet and and like kind of pushing into the fear and I'll save you kind of thing and I can help you. But the energy of it just feels like they're in such a desperation space. It's really challenging. I think there's a lot of good people who are just putting out a lot of garbage because mm. they're not owning their humanity and able to say, okay, instead of going into like, how am I going to survive? And what am I going to do? And I need to lead. And, and it's just coming from the wrong place. I think people could just, if people would take a little more time to be some, a little bit introspective and work on their own wellness before putting out offers, that would be nice. So Industry-wise, it's really hard to see that and to feel that along with all of the messaging about the end times. And it gets to you. You know, it's like I'm sitting here in my in my compound. You know how this place is. So it's it's a pretty good place to be stuck. I mean, if you're gonna be stuck. And at the same time, like I'm become I, I avoid the news and I be to an extent, like I can take it in small doses but I'm becoming more concerned about my safety and welfare, right? And I, I just also honor that and recognize, I just have to you know, remind myself and I have a great support system that reminds me as I'm, I'm high risk, you know, and I don't live my life high risk. I live my life as, you know, I'm just going through life. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of taking more precautions about going out and, and really not even wanting to go to the grocery store and stuff like that. And then also recognizing, you know what? If it happens, if I get it, I get it and I get through it or I don't. But either way, there's nothing I can do to like, there's no amount of fear that's going to stop whatever is going to happen from happening. 
So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I am right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always a loaded question because I feel like every single phone call, every single email, every single outreach, I'm prefacing it with, number one, I hope you and your family are, and, are safe and healthy. And then you move into whatever the topic is you're going to talk about. And I think it feels like it's either tone deaf or insensitive if, if we're not just checking in on each other. Because, you know, there could there's people that I see on, on Twitter that I've mentioned that they've had like a family members pass away. They've had they've got the virus themselves. And it's like you almost I personally, I feel you need to check in where people are because that will dramatically affect like their mindset and actually what they feel like talking with you about and shifting priorities, right? I mean, the last thing people want to talk about is like marketing when you've got a family member that's, you know, has coronavirus. Like it's so we're we're navigating uncharted waters here. Um, I know the word unprecedented has been thrown around a lot because it relates to businesses, it relates to marketing, it relates to you know how we interact with people on a day to day basis. It it affects podcasting. There's and what's fascinating is that this is literally happening across the globe. Absolutely. I think for me, a few weeks ago, right, I was coming from a space of how can I serve? How can I serve? What can I do? How are you checking in? And if I'm honest, that came from my own fears, right? And not necessarily fear. I don't think it really hit me. Like I didn't get I didn't feel it. Um, I was kind of going through my own stuff with a move and mechanical issues with my vehicle and stuff like that right up about a month, right up till when COVID became a North American issue. And so I would, and I think you guys uh, were also, you know, you weren't really focused on what was going on as much either. You had a conference and you guys were traveling. And it's like, I think, I think when it first became, our problem. I was sort of not really paying attention to a lot that was going on. And all of a sudden I went, huh, okay, I should probably look and see what's going on out here. And once I did, I went, okay, crisis. And I spent most of my life managing crisis. That's where I worked before. That's where I lived before. Um, so dealing with crisis it's it's like autopilot for me. And so I don't really feel it until I sit down and and go, okay, now that I've looked after everybody else, what do I need? And what I've come to figure out for me personally is when I did that and I started looking at what's going on more, I started becoming more susceptible to that fear of all the messaging and and the media and everything. And so what I've been doing over the past week, I guess, yeah, six, seven days, is really, really focusing more on my own spirituality and being rather than doing. And I realize that there's like, is this going to affect my revenue? Yes. Is this going to affect my business? Yes. Could this affect my health? It could. It's definitely disrupted life and it's not just me. And recognizing that it's not just me like even if it was just me i don't i think i would be able to go okay it is what it is but knowing that everybody is dealing with stuff beyond what they normally deal with we're dealing with something that as you said is global i think it just gave me a little bit of peace to say you know what i'm just going to be and so i've been listening you know i've been doing meditations i've been listening to audio 
books of leaders and, and more in the spirituality realm in the mindset space. I think for me and many people, mindset is way more important right now than tactics or strategy or yeah. 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 Some, for some context, I think for the, uh, the benefit of the listener, we had gone to PodFest. I talked about it in, in the last episode. And it's interesting because the the visual uh, I've heard many people use is Indiana Jones when he, the boulder is chasing him and he's literally running through the cave. And now that you know we're back home and uh, Natalie and I have made it back home, uh, my girlfriend, we literally just made it like tail end and you are actually one of the last people we've had an interaction with like in person you know like in terms of of, 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 and then none of us were thinking about it you know we were reading the news we mentioned it we we heard it mentioned there and so you know we 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 were spent some time with you at, at your house but it just seems like such a long long time ago when that happened and it's interesting to think about you know like the last person you had like a human contact with yeah, you guys are mine too. Aside from like you know at the grocery store or whatever, and and the uh, the mechanics, but you guys also probably were one of the like last flights because it was really like right after that they started shutting down flights, right? Yeah, yeah. Lots of things to talk about, and obviously, want to want to talk a little bit about your your podcasting journey. So let's shift gears a little bit and you know talk about you know. You, you starting the podcast, but I'm, I'm interested, you know, because this is part of your business now. And it's, it's, I mean, like for me, I eat, sleep and breathe podcasting now. Just it's, it's just relevant to everything I do. It's, it's this show, it's my company we, we, in terms of the production we do. So I'm wondering for you, if you could provide some context for the listener, like how that started for you and, and when podcasts started appearing on your radar. Absolutely. So it's nice kind of that we're talking now for folks who are listening who are not familiar with the online space. Words that used to be completely foreign, like Zoom, (laughs) are now household words. So back in 2015, I decided to create Virtual Summit. So basically a conference online, which is what a lot of people are now experiencing. So where I would interview folks uh, over video and it would be released and it was an educational experience where there were 30 uh, marketing experts to help um, new, new businesses, new online businesses learn how to get attention, how to grow their business, how to market through different channels. With that, I had heard of podcasting. I never listened to a podcast. I really didn't know what a podcast was. I never owned an Apple product in my life. And and I was a correctional officer when I, I started my business, my online. I quit my job in corrections and then went, I guess I need to figure out how to make money from home. As I mentioned before, I have I'm at risk. I have an autoimmune disorder that was making me extremely sick and I wasn't able to work. And rather than say, well, you know, I, I mean, like, I don't even know what the other options could have been. Like, I didn't, I made the decision that I wasn't going to continue working in the corrections field. It just, it didn't feel good to me. It wasn't good for me. And so I just decided not to, but I didn't have something to fall back on. So I was like, I guess I should figure this out pretty quickly, or I will be flipping burgers at McDonald's, which that I was completely prepared to do, but I didn't want to. So 
Mm-hmm. So I had to dive in to this online space. And in 2015, it's only five years ago, but like technology has come so far and things are so much easier now. And so back then there was no directions on how to run a summit. So I figured it out. I reached out, I interviewed 30 experts in different fields of marketing. I put it together in a, in a virtual conference. I got people to come and one of the people, or sorry, one of the topics, I wanted one person per topic that I heard when I was researching what is the best marketing channel today was podcasting. And so our mutual friend, John Lee Dumas, he came on and I interviewed him. He wasn't my friend at the time. I didn't even know who he was when I got introduced to him and I learned about him. But I interviewed him about how to grow your business and get recognition and build a brand through podcasting. And so we did the session. It was great. And afterwards he said, you know, Nicole, you should be podcasting. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. And I'm thinking I got enough on my plate. Like I'm doing summits. I committed to three years. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And uh, he said, well, really consider it because it's a lot easier than summits and you're really good at interviewing. So I was like, okay, this guy knows a lot more than I do. Maybe it's something to think about. And so I did. After the summit, I, I went, well, what would this be like? And I connected with him and said, you know, what, what do I need to know? And I joined his program and, and created a podcast. And so my first podcast launched March 21st, 2016. So just over four years at time of recording. I really didn't What I loved about it, what I loved about the summit, what I loved about interviews was just the depth of connection you could have with people and meeting just fascinating people and learning from them and engaging with them that you would never just meet happenstance along the road. So I really, really love that. I love connecting and I love creating value for others. And so then also getting feedback from my audience at both the summit and then later on in the podcast was just fuel for the fire. And it was like the more I got that feedback that our messages mattered and that what we talked about mattered and it was changing lives and it was saving lives. It was like, oh my gosh, I love this. So my podcast started out three days a week. And over the past four years, I've started different podcasts. I've shut down podcasts. I've taken breaks from podcasting. But it was probably beginning of 2016, I started talking as I had been interviewing people. So I had the summit and then I had the podcast. Um, I had been interviewing a lot of people and I was noticing some things that made a guest excellent and some things that made a guest very vanilla. And I started inquiring within myself about what that was. And also, I before starting to podcast, I was going on podcasts because I wanted to know what were best practices. I wanted to be in the interviewee seat. I wanted to learn from people who had already figured it out. And so with all of that, I was making a lot of hypotheses and and testing things out and sharing with my guests, hey, you know, if you do this, you're going to sound better audio-wise. If you do that, you're going to connect with my audience better. Or, you know, let's just pause that and let's redo that piece because my audience won't resonate with that message and I really want you to connect. So things like that. I was just kind of coaching my guests just naturally um, and they were very receptive. And then I started just connecting people and all the things. So I, I was t- 
teaching people um, and writing about it and talking about how to be a great guest, what I call podcast guesting as an activity for business growth from early 2016. And then that just people kept coming to me and saying, hey, you know, do you know a great person that would be a fit for my show? Sure, I'd connect them. Hey, can you teach me this? Hey, can you teach me that? And so from there, I started teaching about podcast guesting and interviews that convert that my framework was born and that became business. And then I believe it was late 2016, maybe early 2017, um, I had a guest who I just loved and it was a, co- a company that I used their services and I said, I believe like you guys need to be known by more people. You're so, you know, you keep it so small. And he said, ah, we like it that way. That's the way I want to keep it. And I said, but that's a disservice. There's all these people like me who've paid big bucks for, you know, like a, a solution like Infusionsoft. It was way yeah. more than I needed. But here you have something that rivals that for a fraction and it's so much easier. I want to put you out there. And so he was the first one I listened to, people had come to me and said, oh, can you do this for me? I said, no, no, no. But he was the first one where he did not want to be introduced to other podcasters. He did he did not want to lift a finger or do anything to be a guest. But he said, if you will do it, because you're an advocate for me, I'll pay you to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where my done-for-you services started. Where do you think the this ability to either listen empathically or understand how you could make people deliver or, or, or facilitate people delivering their message uh, in a mo- more coherent fashion. Where was that skill set born? And, and is that something that you've just kind of maybe naturally done, not in the podcasting world, but in your real, in your real life previously? Yeah, I think personally, I think we're all born with our own gifts and graces. And you you mentioned empathic and that's just how I came out. <laughs> and also just problem solver. Like I see gaps. I'm a strategist by nature all my life from the time I was very young. I would see, here's what I, I would imagine. Here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. How do I get from where I am to where I want to be? And I would make it happen from early, early days, from young childhood, throughout my childhood, adulthood, I think that's just a natural gift that I didn't really recognize and appreciate until the past years. And I mean, I'm still not necessarily appreciating it fully because I think we all feel like when something comes really naturally and easily, we don't see it as valuable as others. And that was really how I struggled to get into, to, to allow podcast guesting to be my business. I was sitting there looking for uh, general marketing clients, right? Teaching people how to make irresistible freebies and lead magnets and how to, it was always still conversion because I, again, I understand how to close that gap from what you want to what you have innately, but I wasn't focused because I just thought I love connecting people. I'm happy to connect good people. I love helping people. So I'm happy to make suggestions and give you advice, but I could never charge for that. Like that's not something I could charge for. Like I have to charge for coaching, right? Like there has to be a structure. There has to be something specific. And so it's taken a while, right, to recognize. and, And even with, you know, 
podcast publishing. I mean, when I came in, I knew nothing and I didn't have a budget. So I had to learn. Actually, it's funnily enough, I didn't have a budget, but I still paid for somebody else to do it because the idea of doing audio editing was so foreign to me and it freaked me out yeah. that I said right from the beginning, I'm going to hire somebody. And I did. And I, I paid somebody who I met through the program that I was in. And I wound up listening to an episode one day because usually I wouldn't listen because I didn't like the sound of my voice. And I was like, oh, I'm paying her to do it. So I don't have to do it. But I had a guest who was, was a friend of mine, had never done an interview before, was really, really nervous. And so before the night before it went out, I said, let's just hop on Zoom and we'll go through it together and you can hear it. So you don't have to have this freak out, you know? And so we did. And we get towards the end where she's delivering her call to action. And I stopped her and I said, okay, <laughs> so here, this is one of the examples of what I was saying before, right? I was like, so what you're saying is fine. However, you've delivered all this value. My listeners, I'm sure are falling in love with you right now. And now you're leaving them with like, you know, nothing. You're, you're not inviting them to take some step with you. And so what I would recommend you do is, you know, do this, yada, yada, yada. So I said, so let's retake that. And then we'll just, you know, the editors will cut that out. And so we did. Well, this I'm hearing and she's hearing with this final thing that's already scheduled to be published in like six hours. And I freaked out and it's late at night and the editor like, what are you going to do, right? So I went on YouTube and I learned right there and then how to how to cut audio. And that was a big learning experience. And once I learned how to do it, I was like, what am I paying for? You know, aside <laughs> from the fact that she didn't actually do it. And so then I just took it upon myself to learn how to do the audio production. And then I taught an assistant how to do the audio production. And yeah, I think... So I, I, I can't speak for you, but maybe I can ask you because audio production and, and podcast production in total is your business. Like it's, it's not something that's challenging for you, no? Um, no, not for me now because, and I'm the exception because I grew up DJing. So I know vinyl turntables, that's how I learned like uh, my appreciation for music. So then I moved into electronic music production. So I used tools like Ableton Live and I Logic and I've mastered audio. So I was no stranger to audio production at the time. So when it came to podcast editing, it was just, it's just voices. So it was super easy as opposed to like music and layers and drums and all this other stuff that you got in bass lines and all the stuff that, that I learned how to do. So I was prepared and I was using Ableton Live to edit early on, which is like complete overkill because the analogy I like to use is like, using a Ferrari to go buy groceries because it was just like way above. Now we use, the team uses Hindenburg, which is a really super clean editor. It's made for journalists, which is why I like it a lot. But yeah, to your point, it's like everything else, when you learn it and you see and you, and you understand the basics, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. But if, if it is new to you and, and people don't understand audio editing or even, you know, basic editing tools or just basic software, I mean, there's people learning how to use Zoom or people learning how to do Facebook lives now, right? So yes, you, we sometimes underestimate when we can, when we take to technology easily and, and I'm, a, I'm the type of person that does versus people who are just 
you know, it's it's just enough for them to figure out even just how to record themselves on a computer, and so they don't even have to worry with the rest. But it is it does feel like a a, a superpower and a nice skill to learn, which is what, what you are telling me you experienced. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, so many people look at me and they're like, "Oh, but you're tech set." I'm like, I am. I am no different than you. Like again, correctional officer. Like I'd never been on social media. I was a ghost. I was not looking to be a public person. Like I had, I was dealing with murders and rapists, right? Like before I was a correctional officer, I worked in social services. I was doing crisis support. I was taking kids who were, you know, I I had a, a case that there was a hit out on a prostitute that I had to protect. And we were driving all over British Columbia and there were only two people who could know our whereabouts at any time. So like, I mean, I was not looking to be known, right? So it was a big leap for me to decide I'm going to use the internet to, and and I should say too, I, I used to coach prior to getting into social services, well, maybe in the middle, right? So mm, okay. I had 2003, I got my official certification as a, a transformational life coach. But it was so I knew I, I had a practice in the past and I had had a, mar- a corporate training firm in the past and I had businesses in the past. But coming out of where I was at that time was I, I like I was I knew nothing about the Internet. I knew nothing about online, but I had to figure it out pretty quickly because I recognized if I was going to make money to live, I needed to learn. And so I just dove into everything. How do you make a website? Well, I got a course, how to make a website. And I just constantly looked for resources. And so, so yeah, I think when we, when we tell ourselves this isn't natural for us, it's not an innate gift, we, we stop ourselves sometimes from having some breakthroughs. But when the, when the things do come easily, because we have grown up with the turntables and it's something that's just a skill you've practiced over and over and over, I don't know about you, but for me, it it's sometimes a challenge to put a price on that because it's just like, oh, it just takes this. I'll show you or I'll do it. It just, you know, it just takes a couple minutes. Oh, let me introduce you to somebody. It just takes a couple minutes. And um, and so sometimes it's hard to see, I think for me at least, and many people I've worked with, it's hard to see our own value without some external situation that says, hey, what you do is worth money to me. And so for me, that's where that's where my business started shifting from trying to be a coach to and and or tr- trying to revive my what I my business that I had in the past to just naturally allowing people to give me value for the value I was giving them. And I think what's interesting and what's hard for people to grasp sometimes when it comes to this idea of of paying people what they're worth, I've heard the phrase that says a a, pro- a professional is expensive, but an amateur will cost you a fortune. <laughs> so I think the other thing is understanding an opp- opportunity cost. So what's an hour of my time worth? So while I can actually do some of these tasks that, you know, like little web design or, or, or stuff like that, I always use the example of being on my website and trying to fix something in the sidebar and it was taking me hours to figure out and then I called the web designer friend and he did it in like 15 minutes and I was like oh I get it that's like your superpower that that, that's what you do um and then something I heard I don't remember the exact example but I remember it was something where someone needed something done and they couldn't figure it out and they had an expert come in and help them and they fixed the thing for them 
in five in like five minutes and i think the guy at the time was charging like 200 dollars an hour and so he sent them like an invoice for like the full hour he's like that's what an hour of my time is worth he's like it's not how long of my time you needed it's all my years and years of experience that i've put in so that so that i could solve your problem in five minutes and so like people you know can't grasp their heads around that but you're, you're paying for like you're, you're paying for uh, an outcome like you're not paying you're not sitting there and just like oh i'm just going to sit on, on the phone with you for an hour just so i feel like i got my money's worth like if you can fix my problem and and help me move forward and what i need and, and that takes five minutes or that takes the full hour it, you you're still getting the value of that person. And if they can deliver that to you in a way that's efficient, then that, that's valuable too. And, and, and in a way, he's actually giving you some time back. <laughs> Absolutely. Another question I had was, and I'm fascinated by the idea that you, you've been a correction officer previously. And so there must be something to that. So that has helped prepare you for where you are now. So two questions come to mind. How did you choose that where were you and, and what was happening in you in your life where you felt like that was a direction that you wanted to take? And then secondly, what lessons have you learned from those types of interactions? Because like you said, the the intensity of the the one-to-one interactions you have in, uh, or one-to-many in those environments, in some cases is life and death. And so it's a bit different than like someone stressing out because their website is not, is not up <laughs> in time. So I'm wondering if you could speak to those two points. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is a good just time for me to just put a little plug in here of appreciation for all the frontline workers that are out there and also for correctional officers. And I am so, so appreciative that I am not a correctional officer right now because basically what people are you know, living under the, the, the awareness of what's possible with COVID. These are the things that correctional officers deal with every day. You're constantly at high alert. If anybody get, you know, if there's a staff infection in that facility, like if there's any kind of virus or anything and it is, it's gross. So (laughs) I have been thinking about, you know, people in corrections lately. And um, just want to give a shout out to anybody who's doing that. It's not a pleasant job. And I can't even imagine right now. So how did I choose corrections? It was not a conscious choice. It was more of me falling further and further away from who I really am and what my path it, it was my path because I went down it, but it was really so disconnected from who I am and in what I care about. So I, I've always dealt with crisis my whole life from a very early age. And yeah, just familial stuff and my upbringing was just constant crisis. Mm-hmm. And then my brother, when I was 11, got cancer. And so then we got involved, our family got involved with an organization that supported um, families and children with cancer. And so then, you know, it's like, so I had these, you know, inner, like in our household crises that I managed. And then we went to a larger area of, hey, now all the people I'm building close relationships with and developing emotions for now are like dying or their siblings are dying or their parents are dying dying and it's like pain. So I learned a lot of skills through my childhood around these different things. And 
I was able, I learned to be able to just really be there in space, hold space with people. I learned how to not exacerbate situations, but to deescalate situations naturally. Empathy, right? So I, I learned skills just in my upbringing because of my surroundings. And then later on, I was able to to recognize that I had a gift for working with people in crisis and especially kids. Like I really cared about working with kids in crisis. I really cared about helping kids make positive decisions. So I left home when I was 16 years old on my own. I faced a lot of different adversity and threats and, you know, and I never got into, it just, it wasn't who I was to do bad things. Like I never, ever thought to hurt people. You know, I may have been angry, but I never did things that harmed others or uh, I never stole or anything like that, right? Like I didn't, I didn't get into drugs and, and most people who had the kind of upbringing that I did, did. And I recognized that. So like I knew I did not want to be in the situation I was. I figured out how to get out of it when I was 16. Well, I'd been you know, trying to figure it out before, but I finally had that opportunity. I was able to get out there and get emancipated at 16. I was going to school and it was a really dangerous and scary place. And I made the decision to drop out of high school because I didn't want to die <laughs> essentially. And then I moved to another country just before I turned 17. And so I had a lot of life experience and, and navigating. And so when I would see angry kids or abused kids or neglected kids that were acting out, I got it. Like I could, not every kid, but I just, I found I was really drawn to kids that mm. didn't know how to express themselves in healthier ways and were doing the best they could. And so I could relate to them. And so I, I wound up, you know, I got into coaching and and I used to really focus on children and families when I first started and relationships because everything comes down to communication and people seeing things with respect for the other and, and through others' lenses. And, and I don't believe there's any problems that can't be worked through if both parties are wanting to. So I loved facilitating that. I loved helping parents recognize that their kids' behaviors were not attacking them. It was the kids' way of dealing with what they were dealing with and helping helping people heal. I really loved that. And so that evolved over the years. I had a lot of different roles. I worked in as, as an administrator at an alternative charter high school with kids that really just didn't do well in mainstream environments. And I, I worked in youth justice. So starting with alternative facilities, I worked in group homes and, and things that were really frontline. And I did administration, but I loved the frontline because I got it. And, and so that just, I loved it. I loved working with the kids. It was tough sometimes. So I also balanced that with other things, but that led me, yeah, so so working with people, coaching and really helping with the communication and, and working with the youth in crisis led me deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. So I wound up when I, I was in Arizona and I was working in youth justice and then I moved to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And while I was, when I first got to Vancouver, I was looking at starting my coaching practice again using the internet, which... Pff, 
I was just learning how to build a website then in 2007 as well. And I didn't have to go very far though, because I, I found a job that was literally like crisis support and intervention. So anytime anything happened involving the police and family where the children had to be removed in an emergency situation or any time, yeah, like, like I mentioned, the girl that had a hit out on her, like any, any kind of crazy things involving children and youth that happened in BC or in the lower mainland, my boss got a call and we worked 24 seven. So we were basically on a beeper and we'd go out and deal with stuff. And I, I liked working with the challenging kids, the older ones, not the babies. Everybody loves babies. And I wanted the kids that were like at risk of, you know, like which path do they go down? Like, does their life end or does their life begin? I just loved it so much. And while I was doing that, I was in a lot of houses that were foster homes and it just broke my heart seeing the way the conditions were and what the kids were going to. And sometimes I felt like, you know, they should have just been left at home. (laughs) So it was really challenging for me as a human being to go in and see these things. And so I then became a foster parent, a level three foster parent. So I worked with the most high risk youth Mm. in my home full time. And then, yeah. And then I wound up wanting to move my, uh, closer to my family. My grandfather became ill And I was on the West Coast and he was on the East Coast. And so I wound up, my boss said, oh, you should go check out this jail or this um, this thing in Ontario. They have this state-of-the-art youth justice facility, yada, yada, yada. And so I did. And it was not what I expected at all. And it it was really, so I, I was in the States. I worked in a facility that was amazing. And it was based on positive peer culture and it was positively focused. And it was like, let's take these young men who have been adjudicated and have sentences and let's help them change their life. Now we're not going to change everyone's life, but when we uh, teach the norms, they will adapt. You adapt or, or you dissolve. And it was amazing. It was amazing to be a part of. It was amazing to see and then coming to a facility that had the complete opposite position and they just warehoused kids and they put like young men in with young boys and and there's lots of horrific stuff happened and I couldn't stomach it. And so at that point, I was getting further and further off of who I am and what I was seeing and I couldn't do anything about it and it made me angry. And then from there, I had the opportunity to go into the adult system and I didn't I never thought I would be a correctional officer. It's never a career path, but I made the decision based on recognizing this is something I can't control and I still need a job. I believed I needed a job at that point, opposed to I've forgotten I can create whatever I desire. And so that's what took me into corrections. And I spent three, no, four years, no, three years in corrections. I think I was five years total. So yeah, anyways, between the youth and and, in Ontario. And so that, that was it. And then finally I just went it no more. Like I was just getting so sick and I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and that was the decision I made. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have faith that it's all going to work out for me and just followed, followed the passion, followed the opportunities. And, and here we are today. And that's, my life in a nutshell. 
That's thank you for sharing that. It's a, a fascinating journey you've been on, and it sounds like you know we didn't know or you didn't know it at the time, but a, a lot of what you did uh, and those tough conversations and adaptability have, I imagine, lent itself lent itself to you becoming the person you are, having the empathy that you have right now, and using some of those skills that you probably had to learn on the fly sometimes, adaptability, um, and now have made you a more empath- uh, empathetic listener and I'm sure um, helped you become a, a better business person and, and a, a better business partner and, and just all around been helpful for you as you now are, are you know, in this next phase of your, of your career. Absolutely. So just curious if there was a relationship or if anyone comes to mind that you would consider a mentor or someone who's been influential as you've been sort of walking this path. Yeah, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I there's that's one thing I have to say is I never really I, I was very solidary. Like I was from from the time I was quite young, things were going on inside of the walls that nobody knew outside of the walls. So I always was really good at, or I I think I was always really good at hiding a lot and not and not feeling supported by the people who birthed me. And so I didn't believe I deserved maybe, or I didn't, I didn't look externally necessarily for mentors. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I wasn't raised like with rules or like, I thought that the kids that had to go home for dinner and couldn't play till whenever I thought the kids that had to do their homework I thought their parents were mean because I didn't know what boundaries were. I didn't have parenting essentially. And so I was weird and I was awkward and I didn't fit in. And so I never really sought out support throughout my life. Early on, there was one person who was a a huge who was hugely impactful. Actually, there's a couple, but I, I would say Steve Mendelson, he was he was one of my first bosses and he saw something in me. He's the one who helped me get into marketing. He's the one who helped me. Like I was working in professional sports and entertainment without a high school diploma, without a university degree when I was just 19 years old. And the reason is because Steve put in a good word for me and helped me get hired when they were looking at Washington Sports and Entertainment for somebody in their group sales department. I busted my ass and I worked hard always and I always went above and beyond. And you know, he was somebody that saw that. And I remember the first time we did an event at uh, the Washington Bullets game. So it was a long time ago. And I got to go with him into the community relations department and sit there while he was talking with the director and, you know, and I got to be a part of the production of an event. And that was amazing in professional sports. And then I wound up, you know, we did that a couple of times and he wound up helping me get a job there. And so he was somebody who, who believed in me and who supported me and I'll never forget. And then for many, many years, once I went out on my own and, and, and I did not have any, any mentors, not that I can remember. And it wasn't until I started my business online over, you know, five years ago that I started finding people 
who did have that same kind of like hand up mentality. Like I love to mentor. I love to help people. I love to give a hand up. I don't believe in hand out, Um, but I'll help anybody if they, you know, if they have to meet me with something. Right. And so I started finding a number of people and um, John Corcoran is somebody that comes to mind. Yeah. John's a great guy. Great guy. He was integral in helping me get my first summit off the ground. Amber Vilhauer, she connected me personally with John Lee Dumas, who, you know, became a mentor in podcasting. Just gosh, there's so many people. Shout out to AJ Amex and Jonathan, oh my gosh, I can't even think of his last name right now, who are actively my coaches right now, (laughs) Adam (laughs) Urbanski. So yeah, once I got into, I think at the beginning of getting into my online journey, there were a lot of people I thought were going to be mentors and I hired a lot and I paid for a lot of programs because I believed, hey, fastest path, right? Like I'm no spring chicken. I wasn't looking to pay my dues and do my twenties over. Like I was very aware. I wanted results quickly and I wanted to hire somebody who's going to get those for me. Yeah. Makes sense. And I didn't, I, I found a lot of people were not in integrity with what they offered, but the people that are, are so like, ugh. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing I think as entrepreneurs, we all, when we're coming into this world, we, you know, we, we, we try a lot of things that don't work. <laughs> you have to spend thousands of dollars on programs that don't work. And we think they're going to help us because there's no one to give us that guidance as to what's, what to avoid. And, and I think what we can do as entrepreneurs, and, and that's why that question is always relevant for me in terms of mentors. Cause like, who are the people who helped us along the way? Cause I think then we, we find ourselves in a position where we have new people now and we think of our mentors when we see new people and we're like, oh, I remember how that person helped me. And I want to provide that same guidance to people who are just joining. Like, you know, I may not have all the answers, but I can def- definitely tell you what not to do. <laughs> I love that you're saying that because I think even now more than ever, and it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning is like what I'm seeing online and all the marketing and stuff. It's like now we have more than ever in such an amplified way, all these people who are out of desperation looking at, I've got to create something. I've got to take care of my family. I've got to figure this out. So now rather than the, I don't know how many thousands of people we're used to having every day, you know, get online, but usually they have something they're transitioning from. Now we have all these like countless people across the world who were a lot like me when I quit my job as a correctional officer, I quit before having anything. And then I was like, I'm going to figure it out. And now everybody's forced to figure it out. And that concerns me. And I love, you know, how you're saying that when we remember who supported us, and I've always tried to keep that in mind and give credit to the people who've been there for me. And I always also want to be able to pay that forward and to help others. But again, it's that hands up, not handout. And I think a lot of times when we're in this desperation space, people are looking for handouts and they're in panic mode. And, and I think that if we all just kind of take a step back and breathe and, and focus on who we are a little bit more and talk and, and some internal dialogue. And if you believe in prayer, praying, if you believe in meditation, meditate, but doing something to distance yourself from the, the busy, the, the fear, the, the like hamster wheel. I think that every one of us in our core wants to do good and wants to give a hand up to somebody. 
Yeah, I like the distinction. That's really important that hands up versus hands out, hand out. Can you talk a little bit now about how now what what's going on current day, the type of work you're doing with clients? Because I, I think that'll be helpful for our listeners as well. I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. So really, you know, podcasting and podcast guesting is what I do, but it's it's just they're just vehicles. So whether whether it's podcasting, whether it's podcast guesting, whether it's social media, whether it's blogging, whether it's YouTube, whatever. These are all just vehicles to achieve a goal. So I work with established business owners and thought leaders, speakers, folks who have who are already doing their thing and generating revenue from it to help them scale to help them grow their business and get more of what they want, reach their their objectives, utilizing new media marketing and primarily podcasting and podcast guesting. So the distinction in that is that a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to start a podcast because I wanted to make money or because I have a message or because of whatever. I work with folks who don't necessarily want to start a podcast, who don't necessarily, they, they know it's something they, they are aware, it's something in the world. And I think now we're going to be more aware, more people are going to be aware, but they, they're comfortable with where they're at generally. They're not looking to take on something new. So I help them look at what are your goals and what kind of, what kind of channels can we leverage and how are we going to do that in the most effective, fastest least least resource driven way and we make a plan and then execute. So yeah, oftentimes that looks like, hey, we're getting you out on other people's podcast as a guest, right? For a particular purpose to speak to your ideal buyers. Sometimes that looks like, hey, let's have a podcast for this particular purpose to speak to this particular audience for this particular reason. So it's really like exploring what are the gaps and how do we how do we close them in an effective way? Yeah, and I think a lot of people new to the medium don't understand the impact that it can have. I mean, I was on a pod, I was on the um, uh, the Daily Grind podcast with Colin Morgan, and interestingly enough, I, I had a, a, a someone who ended up being a client. Like they literally listened that morning, went to my website, clicked on the chat button, and within about a week of a couple of back and forth conversations they ended up being a client so i can i can testify you know testify to the power of being positioned as an expert on the right shows and the power that it has and to your point like i didn't need to have a podcast but i do but you know for some of these folks that you know uh, i talked about online and offline stages and a lot of speakers are used to like going to events which is basically not going to happen now for the next three or four you know three to six months so just now thinking about online stages and opportunities to tell your story and the right if you're on the right show and you're speaking to the right audience i can't think of like a, a better use of, of your time as a, as a subject matter expert yes and just something to the point of speakers in case we have any speakers listening um, I don't know what your experience has been, Harry, but my experience has been that speakers, like I said, you know, I started analyzing way back when um, what makes a great guest, what makes a not great guest. And speakers are some of the worst podcast guests because podcasting and, and every podcast is different. So you need to know what the podcast 
is about, what the goal of the host is, like what you're going on for and all that stuff. But speakers generally, first of all, a lot of speakers will just get anywhere because they believe if they speak enough, then that's that's the goal, which kind of drives me nuts because I like to say it's podcast guesting, but what I do is strategic podcast guesting and strategic podcasting. So we're looking to reach an objective via that channel. So with speakers, they will oftentimes come on a show and they have their sound bites that they've been prepped and they know their talk and all this stuff. So you ask them a question and there's no presence. They're just talking as if they're on a stage and it's like, okay, let me ask the question again a new way, right? And so I think as a listener, oftentimes uh, for listeners who are regular podcast listeners, I think that speakers are oftentimes the, the episodes they tune out for. And as a podcaster, it's really challenging as somebody who I think like you has some ideas of what you want to talk about, but really just goes with the flow, is present and in conversation with the guest. It's really hard to deal with speakers. And so that's one of the things that I specialize in is not just get on a podcast, but we look at how do you become a great guest, not just by adding value to the host, not just adding value to the audience. We get deep into that, but really how to make interviews convert into leads and sales in a very high level way. And that's actually the name of my framework, which is Interviews That Convert. So, and that's my website, interviewsthatconvert.com. And so any speaker who's listening, if you're, or anybody is listening, really, I mean, I've got a little, I got a little thing called Interview RX too, which is sort of like urgent care for your podcast mm. interviews. <laughs> okay. you know, we triage and we go, what's going on and, and diagnose because a lot of podcast guests, when, and not just speakers, but most podcast guests, go on podcasts and never, ever convert from podcasts. So there's definitely specific mechanisms and things that you can do to make podcast guesting and your opportunities pay off for you. And, um, and that's one of the things that I help people with. Very helpful and very relevant in today's environment. So thank you for sharing that, Nicole. Thank you. A couple of questions as we wrap up. Uh, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, this is actually really relevant to podcast junkies. I was I had a show that um, I started in 2016. I retooled it for 2019, had a number of technical difficulties, and it disappeared. And it wound up being a huge drain on my energy, and I just gave up on it. And I was going to start a new podcast. I think we were talking about this when you were down here, actually. But over the last few days, or over the last week in talking with shout out to Rob Walsh over at Libsyn and Rob Greenlee. These guys have been hugely, hugely helpful for me. I decided to revive the old show. So I'm not sure what the new name is going to be. I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to get it up there and get new content in, but that's something I've changed my mind about. I was really like, I just need to burn it all down and start fresh. And now yeah. I see new life and opportunity in taking my old baby that's that I've neglected and buying it some new clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? I don't know. Maybe that, I don't know. A lot of times, and, and actually, um, you know, shout out to Natalie, your girlfriend who did my photos. 
I don't just naturally smile. Like I smile a lot. And like if when I have something to smile about and I, I'm very happy, I'm a very happy person. And, but I think I have like the resting bitch face and uh, in getting the pictures back from her, I was like, oh my gosh, I look like mean. And I think that's, uh, that's something that maybe people are off put by my face sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> I am very <laughs> serious when it comes to work. Like I'm, I, I don't, I don't find humor in a lot of things that people find humor in. I don't find humor in yeah, yeah, yeah. racial or ethnic or any kind of, like a lot of times people say things they think are funny and I don't, and I, I don't, I don't pretend to. So I think people just think I'm, I have no sense of humor. Or I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Well, so, uh, I'll, I'll vouch for you and say that you definitely do. I got with you a couple of times. So, uh, regardless of what what uh, what what they see, that you do have a a good heart and good intention. Thank you. So, thank you for sharing this. I think uh, you know we're definitely in some interesting times. So, I appreciate you taking the time to come on, and I'm glad we were able to make this work scheduling wise. So, where's a, a, the best place for folks to connect with you to find out more about interviews that convert? Yeah, um, they can come right over to interviewsthatconvert.com. Go to social media, look for Nicole Holland. I have purple hair. I'm actually telling you what I tell people not to do, <laughs> which is not just say, hey, just find me wherever, but really like, just reach out. I'm not going to set up some crazy landing page or anything like that. Just reach out and let's have a conversation. You can do that on my website. You can do that on social yeah, and you've shared all the, the social sites with us as well, and we'll, we'll make sure all those are in the show notes so people can connect with you. So, Thank you so much. So, yeah, thanks again, Nicole. Stay safe in these crazy times, and uh, looking forward to the opportunity to meet and connect in person again. Who knows when that'll be? Definitely. Still hoping that Dallas works out, hoping that, that we'll see each other for podcast movement. Thanks again. Thanks again to Nicole for getting us caught up on everything that's happening since we last met pre-COVID and how things have changed wildly. It's an inspiring story, especially when you think about the job that Nicole had before as a corrections officer and how her life has changed since then because of the way she challenged herself to find a new career and find a new direction in her life and in her business. A truly inspiring story. Podcast production and marketing provided by fullcast.co. Feel free to set up a free consult at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 to see how we can help you with your podcast. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his complete list of music. Special thanks again to our sponsor Focusrite and the wonderful line of sound cards, notably the Scarlett 2i23G sound card, which is my go-to for every episode. Stay tuned next week for my conversation with Chris Dufay. Chris and I connected through a mastermind we're part of called Black Belt. He lives in Bali currently, and he's an amazing entrepreneur who's had an incredible success, even post-COVID. So we talked a little bit about the mindset that was necessary to change direction and pivot as a business owner. And interestingly enough, he coaches gym owners, which were hard hit if you can imagine the challenges of having a business that requires people to show up in person. So it's a really fascinating discussion. So if you're an entrepreneur and love these types of conversations, make sure you tune in next week. If you made it this far, no doubt you're waiting for the retention hashtag. Let's go with fascinating Nicole 
hashtag fascinating Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. You can tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Nicole at Nick Z, the name. So it's Nick's the name. And that's N-I-C-Z as in zebra, the, T-H-E-N-A-M-E. Thanks again for all you do to support the show. Stay safe and we'll talk next week.